0: Seals music here. It's Tony Mazer, host of the Check Your Brain podcast, wherever you get your finer podcast. Appreciate you listening here, whether you're on Spotify, on Apple, Google, Alexa, TuneIn, or even on Patreon, if you subscribe to my Patreon. Go to my Patreon, find me, Check Your Brain, Tony Mazer, and uh, subscribe. Five bucks a month for it bunch of podcasts a month that you didn't even think you needed until you listen to them and you're like oh I can't get enough of these that's my hope (laughs) if you subscribe to my patreon you'll be able to get interviews just like this one maybe weeks even months before uh they even came out on free for podcasts on apple and spotify and everywhere else you get your podcasts so uh make sure you go check out my patreon today's guest here is really interesting guest scott McEwen. So Scott is a – can you be a former lawyer? That's what I've always wondered, kind of like a a president. You're a president, but you're not president anymore. Can you be a former lawyer? But uh, I guess you still are. You're just not actively practicing. But he got into the world of writing these wildly popular books about uh, the military and and listening to some of the stories of members of the military and these stories that just really needed to be told. And the, arguably the biggest one and one of the biggest books I can even think of in the last 10 years was American Sniper that uh, he co-wrote with Chris Kyle. And uh, unfortunately, we lost Chris Kyle to the uh, gun range massacre that happened several years ago. But I, I actually had an opportunity to talk to Chris and book him for an interview one time. And, yeah, that was – a boy, was that a sad death, and I couldn't imagine – Dealing with that, especially when that's somebody that you would become really close to, as Scott did. So we talk about that in the interview a little bit and uh, the movie and just the impact and really how uh, a movie like that walking out, you just go, wow, I just I really felt moved. So I talked about that. He has a new book out. It's called Hell Week and Beyond, The Making of a Navy SEAL. And since scott lives in the san diego area he just went over basically down the street crossed over the coronado bridge in san diego and he talked to these navy seals about hell week and what it takes to become a navy seal that book is available right now on amazon so go check that out that's his 10th book and i'm looking forward to talking to scott as time goes on because these books you just see them at your bookstore they're just gone there it's usually there's one copy left at barnes and noble because people really want to know about these stories they're very popular especially with younger people it, it, military books aren't just for older people reminiscing of the of the days when they've served it back in the days of the draft it's a lot of people are very interested in this stuff and uh, Scott does an excellent job so I was pleased to have him on this podcast so ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Scott McEwen 62. Joined by Scott McEwen, he's an author. He's got a great new book, uh, "Hell Week and Beyond: The Making of a Navy <clears throat> of a Navy Seal." Excuse me, and uh, it, it's a great book. And one thing I, I, before we get into the book and some of the stories and some of the things that you've uh, uh, been able to uh, talk to some of these Navy Seals and the the, the process. But first, go into just getting. It, it, because American Sniper obviously was just a massive hit for you and for, but not just for you, but for the military in general. Uh, talk about just how you were able to play into that where it just seemed like it was an audience, that that audience of people that didn't really realize what goes into not just being a sniper, not just, but just the, the military audience. And it just, it really clicked a, spe- a few years ago when the book came out.
1: Yeah, um, I felt... I, I got to know Chris. Uh, I'm a recovering lawyer uh, now. I, I just write now. But uh, then I was practicing law, and I did a lot of pro bono work for uh, for the military here in San Diego, uh, including Navy SEALs. San Diego is a huge military town. Many people know that, but uh, there's big Marine, Navy, you know, SEALs, everything else. There's all kinds of bases here. But uh, uh, so, I mean, given the fact that we had been at war then for 10 years now, 20 years, Um, you know, I was doing a lot of work for people, you know, pro bono free stuff to help them out with families and stuff like that, that were, uh, here in the States that uh, might need, you know, whatever issues with car salesmen, ripping them off to, you know, you name it. But, uh, I got to know Chris and, um, through some other friends, uh, that I, that I'd known in the seals and, uh, you know, one thing led to another Chris was a, uh, you know, a farm ranch guy from texas i'm a ranch guy from eastern oregon you know i grew up on a ranch and a cattle and and, uh and horse ranch and so you know his favorite rifle was a 300 winchester magnum he used his to shoot terrorists i used mine to hunt big game you know growing up but you know mine was also a 300 win mag so we just became friends and we had a lot in common you know from our past and you know and then i just started to hear the stories of chris's life and you know in the military and things of that nature i thought you know this is an amazing panorama of america that uh, really needed to be told and it was our generation of band of brothers you know and uh, i felt like you know a lot of people didn't know that we were at war and uh that, that we were you know sending men and women that were in harm's way in wars because they were at the shopping mall and you know i would say the average populace Probably didn't even know we were at war, you know. And, and for all intents and purposes, and I, I felt it important that we tell that story.
0: Yeah, and especially because the stories don't get told enough. I mean, maybe around the the veterans hospital or a VFW hall, or if you have a relative, a, a grandfather, maybe even your dad, who is somebody who can, as time goes on, will fill you into the to the horrors of war. And uh, but you don't see that from that that previous generation. But now that there, there is no draft right now, so people are willingly going over and enlisting and, and being a part of this. And now, like you said, going on 20 years now of, of being at war in Afghanistan and then eventually Iraq, uh, that these stories that people need to know about them, about your neighbor. I mean, these are just, like whenever I hear about my, my father's generation it was Vietnam and my grandfather's generation was Korea and even World War II, <laughs> is that these stories that You just start hearing about after they're gone, and you want to hear a little bit about them now to get that real-world action. And like I said, from it could be your neighbor and somebody like Chris Kyle that even though he was propelled to that level of fame for that little bit of time between the the release of the book and his unfortunate passing. um, But it, it was kind of one of those cases where Chris Kyle may as well have been the guy who lives next door or down the street from you
1: that's, and that's, that's what was important to me was that that's exactly right. You know, I mean, you don't know what is going on. You don't know what these people have been through. You don't know the sacrifice they've made. You don't know the sacrifice their families have made. And, you know, and that's the other part of that story that I think was possibly my, well, smartest move as a writer was to make sure that the part of Taya was told as well, because, you know, these families, well, while they might not be there, when you've got uh, a, a you know, a mother or a father that's back to back deployed in Afghanistan for 10 years, um, you know, it's almost impossible to keep a family going. And it's so difficult and so hard on these military families, you know, and, and I think that sacrifice needs to be told, too, because a lot of people don't realize what, you know, these families and these kids and these women and and men too you know we've got women at war too you know that go through with a spouse gone and you know and and trying to raise the kids and trying to deal with the day to day stuff and you know and I, I i felt that part of it was important to tell too and you know i was very happy with the way clint did the movie because you know doing that part of it in a movie is much more difficult book to to, to to play that part and to really cast that part correctly and you know and I felt like he did a great job there and uh, you know because that's really what I wanted to tell also was that story of the wife you know having to watch tv and and just having to shut it off eventually because you don't know whether that's your your special operations you know that went down your husband that went down on that helicopter or whatever else it's it's extremely difficult and you know for them to deal with it too
0: I made sure I re- read the book first, and when it came out, and then eventually when the movie uh, was released, and uh, there were only two times I in my life have I gone to a movie and I've walked out of there moved. And the first one was Passion of the Christ, and then the other one was uh, was American Sniper, and it was it, it was well it was well put together, well done, uh, and it stayed pretty true to to what uh, you and Chris put together in the book, and. Um, I, I, I was working at a radio station about, uh, gosh, maybe nine years ago, and I, I had Chris Kyle on for an interview, and unfortunately, this was right around the time when he's going through this, this ridiculous spat with Jesse Ventura and some some bar fight or whatever, and it just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what, what is going on? This is this is ridiculous. I mean, this guy's a this guy's a hero right now, and we're we're dealing with a, a guy who's a former wrestler and a Minnesota governor who's just is out of his mind. I'm like, what? What is going on? And it really it, it hurt. Now, it, when in your discussions with him, because that was probably about a year before the the, the gun range incident, right. did that really affect him in in that final year? Uh, like, what? How how was his demeanor at that time?
1: You mean uh, the Jesse thing?
0: Yeah, uh, during the, when that was going on.
1: Yeah, um, well, it was a distraction, you know. I don't, you know, I don't think Chris was concerned about that per se that much. You know, we were, you know, I, I told Jesse, and I told, him, and, I, and, he, and he can quote me because, you know, I I literally told him, I said, "You're gonna regret this, dude." You know, like this is a no win. I wasn't there. I never put his name in the book. You know, I wasn't at the bar fight. I wasn't at the disagreement, you know, whatever else. But Jesse has a way of running his mouth. And, you know, and I'll flat, you know, go on record and say that. And, you know, and I told him, I said, look, dude, you know, I don't know what you think you're doing, but, you know, this is no win. And, you know, and, you know, we didn't per se, you know, put you down. And your name wasn't even in the book. And, you know, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you guys should just work this out. And, and you know, so, you know, Jesse, let's just say he does events to get himself in the limelight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think this was one of those events. And, uh, you know, and he said to me one day, he said, look, dude, I'll be killed if I go to another steel event. And I said, yeah, I, you know, you, I don't think you'd just be killed. I think you'd be tortured then killed. You know, I, mean? like, yeah. like, you know I, don't, I don't think it'd be that easy, you know, honestly, you know but... Uh, you know, I said that. You know that you know, they don't appreciate that. You know, and I'm not advocating that behavior. I'm just saying you're dealing with warriors here, and you got you know chiggers out there like doing things like this. It's like, come on, guy. And then after Chris was killed, and he proceeded with the case against you know his widow, I I, I really, really let's just say lost respect.
0: Yeah, it was just complete, just yeah, disrespect, disgusting, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. Uh, but somebody like like Chris and and so many others who had been a part of this and like you mentioned twenty years with this this war and I and I'm somebody that I, I I've always been one of those you know uh, you support the troops no matter what uh, no matter the direction of the war and uh, uh, your personal feelings and and the politics that go behind it. Um, but so earlier, what, a, c- a couple of weeks ago, Joe Biden, now President Joe Biden, says that we are going to pull our troops out of Iraq and Afghanistan, or Afghanistan ceremoniously on September 11th. We're going to get all our troops out of there. And you go, OK, all right. Well, like, yeah. why can't you know why that date? Why do you have to do it in a big you know, ceremony in that way? What in your discussions, especially for this new book? how have people uh, if uh, how have the troops and the the seals and others and, and any other military members felt about the direction of these wars because the term endless wars are now being used not just by uh, you know the Cindy Sheehans of the world. You're you're seeing mainstream, even Republicans and conservatives, are talking about endless wars. There's no reason to be in Afghanistan. There's no reason this this war is not going to be won. Kind of that similar tone that we were hearing in the early to mid '70s with Vietnam.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of parallels, isn't there? But uh, you know, it. Uh, um, you know, I think that the military, if you ask it from the military's perspective. You know, I I saw an interesting interview the other day from, you know, from Rob O'Neill, who's a friend of mine and who I know pretty well. And, you know, and I I think the guys that have been there that have lost men and everybody has lost somebody. You know, if you've been there for any period of time, you're going to you're going to have casualties and you're going to have deaths and, you know, killed in action. And, you know, I think it's it's particularly obviously painful and, and difficult for them to to come to grips with the fact that you know this is not a war you win per se and 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 i think all of us have difficulty with that because it doesn't matter how much ground you take it doesn't matter how much ground you hold the hindu kush you know is is a place where you know generals have known now for thousands of years literally dating back to the time of the romans and you know and and you know and and alexander and stuff like that you can take it you can win it but you'll never hold it because the 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 nature of the place itself is so difficult to to hold on to and to actually bring any meaningful change to particularly when you're dealing with islam you know i mean islam is a religion that doesn't deal with change and they just look at anybody who comes there whether they're trying to help them or pr- theoretically trying to build schools or theoretically trying to build hospitals or whatever else, you're still the infidel. And and I think that that's something that we're coming to grips with. And I think your average military guy knows that, but still you don't like to leave someplace, you know, feeling as if, you know, you've left your brother's, you know, blood on the ground there because you have, you know, spent a lot of American blood and a lot of American money, you know, trying to do the right thing and, unfortunately the right thing may be almost impossible to accomplish
0: yeah these the george w bush the neoconservative spreading of democracy and you know it's just it, it it like we said we keep we keep i keep harping on it because it really with it being 2021 being 20 years of this and you know, each day and, and then now that the Middle East is the tensions are back up. And that's the the point of where they talk about the strong borders and the strong sense of nationalism and, uh, and isolationism going on. But, I mean, that's a different topic with that. But when talking to these, especially the, the vets and and the, the active duty servicemen and the SEALs, um, because uh, one thing I look at, because I'm, I'm in my early 30s, and I was going through a similar situation where I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I work in radio. It's a pretty cushy job. I don't make as much money as I would like to, but it's a cushy job. I can wear flip-flops to work if I need to. Uh, but I, the the process of what that took for me to go, which path do I go in? Do I keep going on for this career and seeing if I can achieve this? or is there a higher purpose is there a bigger purpose for me and could that be uh, do i have the right mentality to become somebody and become a, a, a member of the military i didn't know i didn't know which branch at the time i thought about it and i didn't do it and it's kind of a regret i have a little bit uh, when you're talking to some of these folks, what what is that mentality? Is there a commonality? Do you see like a common thread between? Or are these just all different kinds of backgrounds of people that you've talked to that decide to sign up? They could be from affluent neighborhoods, they could be from poor neighborhoods, white, black, gay, straight, whatever it is. Is this all across the board? Or is there a common theme of how they feel in their demeanor? know, well, I think that, Yes, there is a
1: common theme, and if I were to say what that is, and it's interesting because uh, I was speaking to another SEAL buddy of mine that that, uh, that was a you know a lieutenant commander in the SEALs, and it uh, wasn't Zinky, it's another guy. But uh, anyway, um, he was telling me, he said, you know, you realize that our service members now are almost all children of service members. In other words, there is a warrior class and almost a warrior class of people that is developed in this country and there's exceptions to that rule obviously there's different people that come from different backgrounds or whatever else but that you know of the one to three percent of our population that ever go into the military that comes from a very small minority of people that really are kind of like the warrior class and and you know and you see a lot of children of service members that actually become service members and things that nature so it's becoming more, while there is diversity, it's becoming more refined, if you will, the, the, the group that it comes from or, you know, or, or, or less, I guess, robust, if you will. Um, and, you know, and, and particularly when I was writing Hell Week, you know, and beyond and, and this new book is I find that the people that are willing to sacrifice and are willing to do something like become a SEAL, has become even that much more, uh, you know, rarefied. There's very, very few people, number one, that are able, but number two, that are willing, you know, to put themselves through that. And, you know, and those people had better have a vision. And that vision is, you know, is usually patriotism, but sometimes it's just a challenge to see if, do they got that stuff, you know? And uh, so it's, it's you know, it's, it's an interesting mix you know, that you find getting into the military now. And I don't know the rest of the branches as well as obviously I do the SEALs because i work with so many guys in the teams. But it's a pretty rare group that are willing to sacrifice mind, body, soul to that degree to to, to serve this nation. And I, I find it a very special group.
0: That's a great point. The bloodlines is that you see it in professional sports is that, uh, okay, so this guy played baseball and his kid plays baseball and they're at the pro level. And I come from a family of police officers, but I didn't be, I, mainly because you could think I want to be a police officer nowadays. <laughs> my grandpa
1: was
0: yeah, a cop. Yeah, my dad was a cop. My grandfather was a cop. Everyone asked me if I wanted to be a police officer. And I'm like, yeah, maybe when I was younger, but you know, this, since Rodney King, I'm not sure if I wanted to uh, join yeah. the profession at that time. So, but it it, it takes a lot, and especially when you mention about the bloodlines, you, you're talking about the mental aspect as well as the physical. So, okay, you're you're somebody who can you know put up you know 400 pounds on the bench, and you can squat 800 pounds or whatever. But it's that mental aspect that. And you got to have that mental capacity of going into something where this is not just this is not just a battle of physicality. This is psychological warfare as well.
1: Oh, so true. I mean, and that's one of the things also that I mentioned in the book. And I'm not trying to pump the book when I say it, but one of the things that are really conclusions I really came to in a week is, you know, there is such physical varieties. I mean, of specimens, if you will, that are the seals. You do have the six, four, 230 pound, you know, bench 500 pounds, whatever, 400 pounds and kick a door in and, you know, with a, with a, you know, with a, you know, a, a machine gun, belt fed machine gun in his hands, you know, whatever, you got that guy, but you also got the five, four, you know, 130 pounds that is every bit as lethal guy that, that also makes it through. But the one thing that they have in common, all of them is the six inches between their ears. and That is that they won't quit. They just flat-ass won't quit. They, they they will take it to the end of the earth. And then they've got 30% more in the tank that says, you know, I'm going to win. And uh, that's the group that you get that makes it through to be a SEAL.
0: Talk about the SEAL, The some of the training that's going into it. For a lot of us who don't know, like we, we see it, either it's romanticized or we see kind of the full metal jacket version of uh, what we see as the military. What goes into that training to become a SEAL? And uh, how, how long does it take? And that whole process from going from I'm going to enlist to here I am fighting for my country.
1: Yeah, um, and that's interesting when you say the full metal jacket version because that really kind of is what this book is, is the full metal jacket. It's the it's the hell week. And uh, to become a SEAL is 18 months and uh, from beginning to end. And you and I, the American taxpayer, will invest between a million and a million and a half dollars per man. Not including equipment, just in training costs per man, to to if you will work them up to getting that Trident, which is they get what they get after they do all of their SEAL qualified training. And uh, you know the Hell Week that this book focuses on is done at the end of the first month, and there's a reason why they why they front load that, and that is that they want to. It will take out uh, between 50 and 70% of the class by the end of this hell week will drop on request. And so they want that loss of men and, and, you know, and training time to be done early because obviously, you know, you, you haven't spent the rest of the money that you need to spend to, you know, teach the rest of the skills that seals have to have. And so they do it early and they do it, uh, you know, very, very, uh, Unapologetically tell the people we want you to quit, and uh, they give you every opportunity to ring the bell and get out. And they want those that want out, they want you out, and uh, they make no you know, there's no question in anybody's mind that they, they they want you to quit because you know, that is not only they want those guys that are not going to be able to make it through the rest of the training, and there's still difficult training later on, and even more dangerous actually after this week, but uh. They just want to make sure that they're dealing with the right stuff for the rest of the time that the people are going to be in that training.
0: The, f- the physical and emotional uh, mindset of some of these guys—it's incredible. But uh, and you know, when I was talking about romanticizing, and you look at how movies are portraying uh, the military. And you know, I was looking at Forrest Gump, and you know, it's a Vietnam era, but obviously, it's a kind of it's kind of a silly movie by today's standards when you look at that. But so they go through this whole process. Now Now they're overseas or now they're based somewhere. And I, I, one thing I really enjoyed when I was seeing some of the footage, because with Vietnam you see these kind of grainier footage of you know, they got letters from home and everything. But what is, uh, what is camp like? Like what is base camp like for uh, the SEALs where – it, it, like, do they have the technology? Or are they still able to keep in touch at home? And uh, talk about the some of the... Because uh, one, one thing you mentioned in the book is how funny these guys are. Because you go through that whole process and you kind of develop that dark sense of humor as well. Because, I mean, you're dealing with depression and, and, and despair. You're dealing with, you know, the heat and the mental uh, anguish that goes into it. But one of the ways to cope through that is, is humor and you find humor in a lot of ways. It really is kind of like that tears of a clown type of uh, mentality as well. Talk about just what it's like now overseas and what it's like with, uh, with your fellow seals.
1: You know, uh, um, you know, I, I think that's one of the things too is, you know, I, I consider most, uh, most funny guys are usually pretty intelligent and, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and you know, one of the one of the things that you know I I found or I find with seals is where you know people have this classical thought that you know you're dealing with you know you know knuckle draggers you know kind of thing that these are just you know this group of guys that are just you know whatever badass and you know they don't think and they shoot people and yada 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 that's there could be nothing further from the truth particularly in your Special operations teams and your SEAL teams and your Delta Force and things of this nature. These guys run unbelievably technical devices, not just weapon systems, but satellite systems, you know, calling in airstrikes from, you know, from a thousand, ten thousand miles away. You've got a drone overhead and you call in, a, you know, a, an airstrike from this or that. They've got the ability to run a huge amount of equipment that is extremely expensive and extremely, you know, difficult to learn. And, uh, and, you know, and they have to know it all. They have to know all these different things. You can see air, land, and water. You know, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it's difficult for a lot of people to understand exactly how technical the job is and not just physical. That being said, I think one of the things SEALs are known as, and I think one of my favorite stories ever was Chris, you know, when he was deployed in Iraq, when he was working with the Marines and uh, not to speak down to Marines, cause I'm not, but you got a lot of 18 year old kids that maybe had six weeks in boot camp, you know, in, you know, camp Pendleton and they, you know, strap a you know, M 16 on them and say, here, uh, you know, go to war. And so it's, it's a whole different, if you will, group of mentality and kind of, if you will, mindset going in. And, 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 and so, you know, somebody like Chris that is looked up to, as a warrior because seals are kind of revered not just by the public but by the military as well. I mean people you look at a seal and and you know and guys w- might want to start a fight. You don't start a fight with that guy because I'm telling you right now that guy <laughs> is going to hurt you no matter what goes on. You know, something is going to happen here because these guys know what they're doing. They're they're you know extremely well trained in you no know, martial arts and everything from, you know, Krav Maga to to you name it. And and plus They don't know pain. You know, they don't know pain like you and I know pain. They're, you know, when a pit bull gets in a fight, he gets tougher when he gets bit. And that's exactly the way SEALs are. When they get into some disagreement, they get tougher when they get bit. And But that being said, you know, I think that, you know, somebody like Chris, I remember one scene and particularly comes to mind where they – are in an alley and a guy with a fully belted you know uh you know machine gun RPG and with an RPG two lets loose on him and lets the RPG loose and you know on a, him and five marines he was helping to kick doors in and or six marines and and they all went back and the guy like completely emptied the gun and they look at each other you know and and they're checking for holes and literally patting their bodies down and their buddy's body down to see look did you get shot nobody got shot and Chris looks at him and smiles and says hey he's had a bullet so let's go you know, like we got him now, you know, <laughs> he, he can't, he can't take us anymore. And then the guys are like, are you crazy? Dude? You know, like, you know, like he's just smiling. like, okay, let's go. You know what? Like, there's always a, a leader that can have that, that sense of humor amongst men that really uh, makes you that much more effective and yet lightens the load, you know, for the very stressful situations.
0: That's a leader. That's what leaders do. And, yeah. uh, is this uh, uh, Scott? Is this uh, is this book number ten? It I... is. This
1: is my tenth book. Now, yeah.
0: in, in this book, out of all them, it, that I mean, and they're and they're fantastic. They've been you know really high in the New York Times bestseller list. American Sniper number one. Um, was there anything new that you learned about the seals that maybe you've you you've thought about before you've talked to some of them but like it while researching this book was there anything that jumped out at you where you're like whoa I didn't realize that went into being a seal or uh, uh this part this part of somebody's personality like was there anything new that you learned about that uh, that aspect of the navy seals
1: yeah i think you know i think this time when i went out to to really kind of, you know, out, out of the training base here in Coronado, it, it was a special thing for me because, you know, there's like a shrine at team three out there to Chris and they have their own barracks and team three has a shrine now to Chris with, you know, his gun and his helmet and some stuff like that, that, you know, they put together, but, you know, I mean, as a group, as a whole, they've gone through a lot of losses and, you know, and they have, have lost a lot of good men and, you know, and we've seen, you know, operation red wing, we've seen, you know, you know, the team six being shot down in the helicopter, you know, and, you know, in you know, in Afghanistan and a lot of things that have happened that, you know, have made them both famous, but also made them, you know, infamous in that, you know, they've had a lot of losses and I've been to a lot of funerals and I just felt like, you know, as a team, as a group, they've grown up. Uh, you know, and it's weird. It's not like they, they, they're they now at the point where they realize that, you know, they they have, uh, you know, there are targets on their back a lot of times for what they do. And, and they've got kind of like a lot more responsibility and, you know, in the military than possibly at a time when they were just a rogue bunch of, you know, Dick Marcinko, if you will guys out there doing their job and, and and you kind of get that feeling when you when you go out there now I, I got that feeling like they've really kind of grown into a certain area where they, they they've got a responsibility and they realize that you know there's a heavy weight to to, to to carry
0: and if there's a place where you can get some really good research and some firsthand stories you're living in the great town for San Diego you're just up the road from uh, or down the road from Camp Pendleton and yeah like you mentioned yeah. Coronado that's I mean that, that's just a military hub there
1: It is. It is. And, you know, and you got, you know, all the big, you got four carrier groups here or excuse me, three carrier groups here. You got the nuclear sub base. I mean, I was just out doing kind of a, 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 you know, a a talk out there. I go out and talk to the guys and do change of command and stuff like that. So, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of the different military things that are around San Diego and it's a huge military town. So there are resources to, you know to always you know to to look at you know and inspiration for me because i i really i'm really inspired by these guys i mean i was absolutely blown away at that recent subbase tour that i got you know and i love doing those kind of things and kind of supporting the troops because i i find that's a way i can give back that's not a monetary thing per se but the guys and the troops they really appreciate that
0: Hell Week and Beyond is the new book. Hell Week and Beyond: The Making of a Navy Seal by Scott McEwen. Scott, thank you so much uh, for being here on the show. And uh, anything else? I mean, uh, the book, uh, but also, where can we find you on uh, social media or website where we can uh, find out more information and and go through some of your older work as well?
1: Yeah, ScottMcEwen com, and you know, and obviously Amazon. You know, I got author pages and all that kind of stuff, and you know, but ScottMcEwen com is my website, and it kind of goes through all the stuff, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of supporting in this, on this book. If you've got, you know, and, and you know, and we all have that small little book sh- shop, you know, on the corner with mom and pop running it, whatever in our hometown. And I really would love to see people, even if they don't carry this book in that store that you asked and ordered it, that store and, and because, you know, Amazon, you know, business has made enough money. And uh, so, (laughs) you you know, so, you know, I mean, while it might be 30% or 20% or whatever number cheaper with free shipping, you know, support those local businesses as much as you can in that indie bookstore, you know, uh, which I love to go to in middle America or anywhere in this country and, 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 you know, give them some business if you could. And I would really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, because, you know, we're, we're, we're all recovering right now from this mess that we've gone through for the last year. And, uh, you know, and I like to, I like to see if I can, you know, the little guy get some advantage, you know? And so while it's obviously for sale and all the big you know, online stores, you know, get out there and find that little Indian and, and talk to that person who's selling those books.
0: Well, oh, that's the one thing I wanted to ask you about the, about COVID is, uh, how have the, how's the military, like, how's their response been during this? Because I mean, they're, they're overseas in places <laughs> where vaccines aren't as readily available and, you know, different culture, different lifestyle. How has the military been treating the COVID outbreak?
1: You know, I think, uh, I think pretty good, you know, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, um, I think that they've done amazingly good, you know, as far as what it is, but remember something too: your average military age person is pretty damn young. And while, you know, they obviously, there were, there were some outbreaks on ships and things of that nature. I mean, you're dealing with people, you know, generally between 18 and, you know, 30 years old that are in the military, so they can beat this thing pretty quick.
0: Yeah. I, I, I figured as much, but, uh, you know, I, yeah. I always, always thought about them, especially where, uh, cause when things started shutting down in 2020, I was actually in Carlsbad. I was out, I was out your way. And, right. uh, I'm like, Oh boy, I, I gotta get on the next flight back to the East coast. Not because I was afraid of everything. I was just afraid of everything shutting down. So, but, uh, yeah, no, I just, um, no, I just figured I'd ask that, but, uh, yeah, Scott, yeah. you
1: know, but I mean, that, obviously it was stressful time, not knowing exactly what the lethality of the disease was. I mean, can ship get 300 <laughs> men on a you know on a nuclear aircraft you know, submarine or excuse me a nuclear submarine or not a lot of places to go
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah you 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 not only have to deal with a uh, you deal with you know fighting for your life and your country but you also now have this virus that's out there so uh, yeah it's uh, yeah, yeah. interesting well Scott hey thanks so much for joining us uh, I look forward to uh, I love your work and I look forward to talking to you down the road I'm sure you have a few uh, few more stories you want to tell as well.
1: Well I appreciate that man and uh, you know I appreciate you having me on and uh, thank you for supporting you know you know both Chris before and this book now because it, it means a lot
0: absolutely thanks so much Scott.